Hello, my name is Dr. Jim Doty, and I'm the host of the Into the Magic Shop podcast, where we explore the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart. Well, Amandine, it's so wonderful to have you on the Into the Magic Shop podcast. And uh, uh, just to let our listeners know, we've been friends for a while now. How long? Uh, we met uh, with Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. Yes, and with Amma, and like with a Amma. decade ago. Uh, yes, but I think we've also been together with the Dalai Lama. And uh, Indeed. Uh, who else? Uh, uh, a lot of different interesting uh, folks. And uh, yes. it's always been a joy and a pleasure to hang out with you. But I think for our listeners, uh, um, you have this incredible background, not, not only as a human rights lawyer, but in some ways an adventurer. You've had extraordinary experiences uh, around the world, um, Afghanistan, uh, Haiti, uh, Africa, and uh, also um, some people use the term seeker uh, in the sense of trying to um, understand our place in the world and also connect uh, with our consciousness. And this has resulted, obviously, uh, you're like me, in that uh, we have found people who we admire uh, sort of their own path and have learned from them. And so we're going to talk about all of that stuff and how you finally, though, ended up in Mallorca, uh, which uh, uh, I'm interested in that even. So uh, <laughs> so maybe um, you can actually maybe give a little bit of background about your family growing up. Because, you know, I know you met the Dalai Lama when he came to your university when you, I think you were 18, but uh, what was your background that actually contributed to who you are today in the sense of, uh, and we'll talk about it, this exploration in the, in the uh, path of Ella Millard? Yes. Um, well, it's a real honor to speak with you today, Jim. I really appreciate um, interviewing me today. And um, so my background, very simple. I'm French, Polish. My mom was born in Poland and she has to flee the country under communist regime. And she was a small refugee outside Paris. And when she grew up, she was very attracted by human rights and democracy. And when I was a small girl, my mom was dropping me to every Amnesty International gathering, saying that I need to write to the prisoner because they need a better life. And they brought me to Poland when I was 12, and it was under communist regime. And my grand uncle and aunt were medical doctor, but living in a small flat with Russia ticket for meat. And they say, you are very lucky. You were born in democracy. And I do believe that this you the seed of democracy within myself and the seed of human right. And uh, my dad is French from a Weinecker family in Burgundy. And he loved, loved, loved traveling. So when I was a small girl, we didn't have chance. He has an RV and we were traveling in all the road of Europe and around the world just to discover a new country, new tradition, new culture. And uh, so I decided to become uh, a journalist to travel the world. And for that, I wanted to study law before to join the journalism school. 
And so indeed, when I studied uh, law, His Holiness the Dalai Lama came to my university. Ah. And, he, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he spoke about the violation of human rights in Tibet. And uh, I was so fascinating about what he was de uh, describing, actually, and so much um, compassionate as well, because I remember he was telling how the Chinese were going in all the monastery and nunnery and putting some uh, missiles in the vagina of a nun. It was horrible description. I still remember now. But what I do remember Uh, when he came into the room, I was sitting in among all the Tibetan monks. And as you can see, I do not look like a Tibetan monk. And so the organizer at the event said, you should better go to your seat. But the monk checked my ticket and she said, she's at the right seat, so she should better stay. So when his holiness came to the room, he went to just say hello to all the monks. And when he saw me in the middle, he said, oh, 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 oh. and he gave me a blessing, as you know. And the blessing was kind of an empowerment for me because I realized that all his talk on human rights was indeed exactly what I was looking for in my life, which means a cause for me to be more, more um, leading to a service to the humankind. And when he described the violation of human rights in Tibet, I decided that this is what I want to do in my life, actually, become a human rights lawyer, join the United Nations, and if possible, bring back the Dalai Lama to Tibet which is completely a crazy dream, but at least it gave me direction into my studies, actually, to, um, to study and to join the United Nations. No, that, well, that's fascinating. So I know that you wrote your, I guess it is it your senior thesis on the Panchen Lama. And uh, so I assume that that uh, uh, was after you met His Holiness and part of your exploration of... Uh, human injustice or violation of human rights. Yes, indeed. So after meeting His Holiness, I decided it was time for me to visit him in his village in Dharamsala in Himachal Pradesh in India, where I know you've been. And um, when I met him again in his temple, in his temple there was this poster, and it was like a small Gendum Shoikin Nyama the youngest prisoner in the world, the Panchen Lama, kidnapped by the Chinese at the age of five. And it was written, wanted. And I look at the poster and I say, how come I study human rights? And I never, ever heard about him. And during the night, I met a dream uh, where his holiness came to come talk to me. And he said, it's time to investigate about the Panchen Lama. Go back to France and write your political science thesis on the topic, which I did. And investigating on this topic opened me the world to all diplomacy, the ambassador, Tibetan ambassador in Paris, the lawyer on this case in Washington, D.C., the photographer, Olivier Fomi, who's photographing Dalai Lama, completely a range of fascinating people. And I realized this is what I've been looking for. And I indeed, I wrote my political science thesis. I bet I received a high honor. And I joined a master's degree in international relations in order for me to join the United Nations and to work on peacekeeping operations around the world. So uh, where does the becoming a lawyer uh, connect to all of this? Well, actually, I didn't want to become a lawyer. I became a human rights specialist where I'm sure that at least the human rights of every single being I will meet on my way in the world will be respected. 
I believe it's like a divine right that everybody should have a roof, eat properly uh, in a clean environment because I was lucky enough to be born in the democratic countries and I felt very unfair to see this injustice into the world. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, and it's sad though that even in democracies, uh, there is significant injustice. I mean, I'm sure in France and uh, many other places, uh, what we call uh, uh, democracies uh, that support human rights, we still have children who are hungry and homeless people. And in many ways, it's quite embarrassing, I, I think. Uh, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, we attribute uh, this to poor countries or lack of resources or lack of education or lack of political stability. But here in some of the most advanced democracies, we have yet to solve that problem. Indeed. I have nothing else to add. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fact. What else yeah. can I say? It's a, actually, you know, I, I walk around the world for 23 years in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in uh, Central Africa, in Congo, in Haiti. And at the end, when I come back to my own countries, I say, well, I could have stayed here. And, and, and just work on all these refugees coming from Middle East, you know. But I needed to go all around the world to figure out that, indeed, it's happening in my own country. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, I can certainly appreciate that. And, and oftentimes, it seems much more star, uh, stark uh, in other countries, third world countries, and it, the imperative seems stronger uh, oftentimes. Well, going from uh, your reasonably comfortable life in uh, France, so how did you end up connecting with Ella Millard? And uh, what took you on that uh, journey? Because I think in some ways, now obviously uh, you've explained a lot by telling us about your background, because uh, right off the bat, uh, your family was open to other cultures, other opportunities, wanted to learn about the world, which I think is so important to remove uh, prejudices that many people have and to make all of us realize that uh, everyone else is like us. They want the same things uh, as uh, we do. We want, they want shelter. They want security. They want to be fed. They want to worship the way they choose to worship. And uh, uh, um, so it's, it's very eye-opening. But to have that gift as a child, I think, of course, uh, then allows you sort of to no longer be afraid of un the unknown. And so, again, tell me how uh, that interaction, because I think you were supposed she was alive and you communicated with her, but unfortunately she passed at some point. Indeed. Well, so as you can see from my dad, he sowed the seed of exploration, of adventure within myself. And when I decided to take the career of being a lawyer and study law, which is very dry study, I was feeling more attracted by the dryness of a desert than the dryness of a civil code, obviously. And I was just like waiting the time where I can get out of my university and just start traveling. And one day I went to a book fair in Bordeaux where I did study. And a friend of mine introduced me to her aunt and she has a, photography gallery in Bordeaux and she was exhibiting picture of Ella Maya which I never ever heard before she was a Swiss adventurer 
She traveled in China, in Afghanistan, in Russia during 1930s. So she was kind of a pioneer because she was traveling on her own. And when I look at all the pictures of this woman, I say, you know what, this is the type of life I want. I'm just tired of being a student of law. I mean, I have to say, I love, um, I love the, the mission of human rights, but I didn't like to study too much. It was too dry, especially the civil law, you know, the private law. I was more international law, but at the beginning, in your courses, I mean, in your curriculum, you don't choose. So it was... Oh, public finance or stuff like that. I didn't like it at all. So I said, you know, maybe I should stop everything, take my backpack and go on the footsteps of this woman. And my girlfriend, she said, but you know, she's still alive. You can meet her. I said, oh, really? How old is she? She's 94. I said, give me your number. I'm going to meet her. And um, I felt a little bit shy. So I decided I'm going to read all her book first, prepare kind of an interview and go and meet her in a small chalet in Switzerland. But it took me like almost more than a year to do that. And finally, when I was ready, I contacted her and she said, yeah, sure, come for Easter in my chalet and I will be more than happy to meet you. And I remember at this time I was a student in, in a Bilbao in Spain. Uh, I did an Erasmus exchange and, uh, to the University of Law in, in Spain. And I received a, a, a call from a friend of mine in Paris. She said, look on the front page of Le Monde. It's written, she passed away today. And I was devastated. I say, that's the best lesson she gave it to me. Never wait in your life. You know, I could have really met her a year or two years before, but I wanted to be perfectly ready. And at the end, I lost this huge, amazing opportunity to meet this most famous Swiss adventurer. And again, during my dream, she came in my dream and she said, I'm sorry I met you physically in this material world, but you can still meet me another way, which means all the questions you prepare to ask me, you can answer to the question if you take your backpack and go back to all the country where I used to travel 70 years ago and compare what I've changed. Like that, I will be with you and we will have a conversation, kind of. And I was sad and very excited by the way that she opened me the way of adventure and exploration. And I said, this is what I need. So I wrote a big proposal. I sent it to uh, Paris, to uh, an organization for adventure and exploration. And not only I received one grant, I received six grants from different organizations to do the trip. So I was super excited, but at this time, after my study in Spain, I studied political science and I have studied master degrees in international relations. So I was kind of postponing my trip where one day I received a call from the organizer. I said, well, if you don't do the trip, give back the money. And I said, <laughs> no, 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 I do want to do it. Let me finish my master degree. So when I finally um, finish my master's degrees, I have to do six months internship with United Nations in a country. And I said to my director, well, I should better apply in a country where Elamaya used to travel like that. I will start my trip. So I applied to all the UNICEF organization in Central Asia, in Uzbekistan, in Tajikistan, in Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan. And his Uzbekistan office replied to me, say, we take you for six months to implement a well-being program for kids. So I was super excited because I said, well, I, at least finally I can start my trip on the footsteps of Elamaya, which I did. 
I shift organization, I went to UNICEF organization in Tajikistan at the time where all the Taliban were coming on the north of Afghanistan, pushing away all the population to the Tajik border and the poor people were crossing the Amudaya River and end up of two islands full of mine and Kalashnikov from the Taliban on the other side. And my boss at this time said, I can see you are a photographer. Could you come with us? We are going to bring them some tan, some vaccination, some food to the refugees. We need to do a fundraising for them. And when I came there, I was very, very scared because, of course, in one side is a Russian tank of a Tajik border. On the other side is a Kalashnikov AK-47 from the Taliban and in the middle, all the landmine. And I have to tell you, it was an, another eye-opening. After meeting the Dalai Lama, was a breakthrough for me because it opened me to the world of Tibet and the human rights. But when I met these refugees on this island, I really opened me to Afghanistan because I felt I was going to hell and I went to paradise. And I went to paradise just for the kindness and the generosity of these Afghan people. They have nothing and they give you everything. But not only that, the way they, they stand, you know, like they don't show the, us the suffering on their face. It's just like so resilient, so courageous, so noble. And I, and I, I finished this trip and I asked myself, but who are these super powerful, incredible, extraordinary people? And I realized that Elamaya went to Afghanistan twice, actually, to do some archaeological uh, uh, research and to travel just before the Second World War. And I say, I'm going to add Afghanistan to my trip on a full step. And I decided to fly to Afghanistan during my holidays. And even I was about to fly with the commander Masood, you know, the one fighting the Taliban, because he was our neighbor in the Ushambe, Tajikistan. But my boss say, you're completely crazy. You are still under United Nations rules. If you never come back from Afghanistan, it will be my own responsibility. Well, I say, you know, he speak French and it's my holiday and he refused. And I was so pissed off, but I resigned. I resigned. I took my backpack and I say, if you don't want me to go to Afghanistan from Tajikistan, I'm going to go to Afghanistan from Pakistan on the footsteps of El Amaya. And which I did, because in any case, I needed to do a trip because, as I mentioned to you, the organizations say give back the money otherwise. So I was like running out of time. And it was the best adventure of my life. Why? Because it's always like that. When you step out of your comfort zone, this is where magic happens. And, uh, and it was a very spiritual and magical trip. Why? Because Elamaya was just guiding me on the way, just like holding my hand on the invisible realm. So much magic happened, so much uh, incredible encounter happened on my way. In Kyrgyzstan, I met this amazing nomadic woman speaking French, guiding me to all the yurt where her uncle were living with the horses. And we crossed all Kyrgyzstan, Isikul Lake by horse with her, exactly like Elamaya used to do. In Xinjiang, in um, China, I crossed the Taklamakan Desert in sidecar motorbike with a Uyghur, and I end up discovering that this guy was the great, great, great grandson of the governor of Kashgar, the one who received Elamaya 
and Peter Fleming wow. by Canon. <laughs> like, how is it possible? How many billion of Chinese, you know? After I take a bus, I go to Karakom Highway, I go to Hunza Valley in Pakistan. The guy next to me is asking me why I'm going to Pakistan. I explain I'm on the footstep of Elamaya and I want to meet the small prince, Karim Ran. I'm just wondering if he's still alive because he was three years old when she visits the family. And he said, of course, he's still alive. I'm going to play golf with him tomorrow. You know, like <laughs> so much coincidence. It's like, how is it possible? So I meet him and I've been receiving his fortress in uh, Unza Valley, Gilgit. It was so much encounter like that. And I end up by chance in Afghanistan on September 11, invited by the Taliban because I did apply for a visa. And when they saw my name, my name is Amandine Roche. But when the Taliban deputy minister of foreign affairs saw my name, he said, you don't need a visa, you are already Afghan. And I say, how can you say that? He said, because you are Amanuddin Hash. And say, what does that mean? He said, well, Aman means peace, Jin means religion, Hash means joy. So you have a happy protector of peace. And this is what we need more than ever now. So you have been sent by Hala. This is a sign of a divine, and you want you will be our honor guest, you will be our mehman. So we want to send you some protection because we are scared for you to travel in our country. And so I went with the director of French Islands. We crossed all Afghanistan for 10 days on September 11th, which is completely uh, a crucial time for visiting Afghanistan because, of course, it was at the time of a World Trade Center. It was at the time where the Taliban assassinated the commander Massoud. So um, we have two options, keep on traveling or going back to Pakistan. We decided to postpone our trip to the maximum time we could. But at the end, the Pakistani closed the border and we have to negotiate our release because we were stuck at the border. And anyway. It was so much dramatic and also so sad to see all these Afghan people fleeing the country, scared of the American bombing. And so finally, when I went back to Pakistan at the border, it was this small girl asking me to, to save her. And I couldn't save her because I have to adopt her if I save her. So I have to let her at the border. But again, in my dream, the small girl came back to me and she said, why you didn't save me? And it was an opening up to my consciousness on the condition of the women and girls in Afghanistan. And I have to, like a catharsis, you know, like it was such a nightmare. I was waking up every night at 4 a.m. and her face was coming to me, say, why you didn't save me? And I have to write her later, say, my small barefoot Afghan princess, I'm very sorry. I couldn't help you. I couldn't adopt you. But I promise I will come back. And I will come back to work for your sister, your mother, your aunt, all the women. And I got it. I understood that I wanted to work for peace. I wanted to work for human rights. I wanted to work for democracy. But I understood that this time it was passing through the woman. And this girl opened up my consciousness. I understood why afterwards she came into my life. So I went back, finished the footsteps of Elamaya, Pakistan, India, Nepal, Tibet, Ru uh, China, Russia with the Trans-Siberian, going back to Ukraine, 
all Poland, Switzerland in the chalet of Elamaya, and France. And France, I wrote my book, I published my book, I received all the best prize. It was a, it's a very best-selling book. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was my first book. I was just 28 at this time. And everybody were asking me, what you do next? I said, well, I go back to Afghanistan. To do what? To empower women. It was very clear. I wanted to be part of a peace and democratic process. So I organized a scientific and cultural expedition with all my friends. We took 10 cars, two motorbikes, and we drove to, to Kabul, uh, <laughs> crossing, crossing all uh, Italy, Greece, Turkey, Iran. And we end up in 2003, September, in Afghanistan, Kabul. And I joined United Nations immediately after. I became the head of a civic education program. And my job was literally to train civil, civic educators to do doors-to-doors campaign, bring back all the women out of their house because they were so scared of the Taliban regime, so scared that they, were, they didn't want to go back to their normal life and be a doctor, be an engineer, be a teacher. So we were trying to cast all these women to become civic educators and also to train them to go into the political life, to become a minister, to become a, a senator, to become a deputy. So we were giving back the power to the woman. And when I did the job, I love it, love it so much. I understood this is what I've been looking all my life. Wow. <clears throat> so, um, I mean, that's an amazing story. Uh, but a couple things and I uh, affected you and traumatized you and uh, I think impacted your path, true? Yes, indeed, because, you know, it's like you are so much passionate by your fire, but at the end, your fire burns you and burns your wings, kind of. And this is exactly what happened. Uh, as much as I love Afghanistan, I consider as Afghanistan as my best master because... We were threatened by the Taliban. Taliban didn't like our job, didn't like the fact that we were empowering women. So we were the first target. So we have colleagues who died, who passed away. We were under bombing. We were under death threat. And at the end, three of my international colleagues got kidnapped in front of my office. And United Nations asked me to go back to France and evacuate me out of the country scared that I might be kidnapped as well for the work I've been doing. And I came back to France completely broken, completely depressed, um, with the beginning of a stomach cancer, which I, at the end I didn't know, but I put so much stress on my, on my body that it took me years to recover. I went to, I didn't want to take some, some chemical uh, chemotherapy to start to heal the, the, the cancer in my stomach. Instead, I decided to go on Ayurveda. So for six months, I went to see an Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic healer. You know, Ayurveda is uh, ancient medicine from India, where it's go on massage and on herbs to, to cool down my belly because I was looking like a three months pregnant woman, you know, and I was not pregnant, but just I couldn't digest anymore what I went through. So my, my body were kind of somatized. And after six months, I finally recovered. And United Nations asked me to go back to Afghanistan. 
And I meditate and I say, maybe not because the Ayurvedic healers say, you cannot go back to Afghanistan be, unless you learn how to meditate because your body has been like a sponge. You are a non-past person. So you bring light, but you absorb all the darkness. And at some point, you cannot digest it anymore. And I say, well, maybe it's right. So when United Nations called me back to go back to Afghanistan, I was a little bit scared because I said, I will end up exactly in the same and I'm going back with my stomach cancer again. So I say, who can teach me meditation? And I realized, well, of course, the Dalai Lama, because I remember he's a Tibetan spiritual leader. So I decided to take my backpack, go back to Dharamsala, not for human rights this time, just to become a student of the Dalai Lama in Mahayana, in Gelupa, Tibetan Buddhism. And every morning at 6 a.m., I was going in the temple with my blanket because it was during winter, receiving all the teaching of His Holiness and learning the Tibetan meditation. And at some point in his course, he say, and you cannot bring back, you cannot bring peace on the world if you don't bring peace within yourself first. And it was a big breakthrough for me because I realized that I was completely destroyed, completely broken, completely burned out, exhausted, tired and stressed. And United Nations wanted still me to work with them where I have nothing else to give instead my depression. And I say, who well, I am to work for peace in the world if I'm not peace with myself first. I'm a fraud. And I realized that I have to be in alignment with what I want to preach. First, bring back the peace within myself. And I took my backpack and I went all around India to meet spiritual master who teach inner peace and non-violence. Because I was a big fan of Gandhi. You can see Gandhi is here in front of me, always on my desk. And I've, it's been a big inspiration all my life. So I went to Gandhi Ashram in Sevagram. I took the non-violence vows, no kill, no lie, no take any intoxicant, no, take, no have any sexual misconduct to actually bring the non-violence within myself. I study as well with Karmapa. I took my body Savat vows. I took refuge with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And I met Goenka and I learned Vipassana. Vipassana did change my life forever. I finally met my monkey mind, who jumped in the past, jumped in the future, who doesn't want to be here and now, but here and now, this is where there is peace. So Vipassana helped me tremendously on my path to peace, but I decided afterward that meditation and yoga will be my daily practice from now on. And I finally met Ama, who actually helped me to heal uh, my body and uh, give me back uh, hope into humankind with all the service she's doing for the world and make me back on track. And believe it or not, at the end of my journey all around India, I received a call from United Nations. Are you willing to go back to Afghanistan? And I said, now nah, I'm ready. You know, it took me time, but I'm ready because I have my practice. And when I came back, all my colleagues say, wow, you change. There is bombing outside and you don't freak out anymore. I say, well, I do meditate, you know, so if it's at peace inside, it's okay, you know, I don't, it doesn't disturb my inner peace, the bombing outside. 
And so they asked me, well, could you teach us meditation? I said, yeah, of course. So I, I start to open up a center within my home, in my garden, every morning at 6, 6 to 7 a.m. I was offering yoga and meditation class in Kabul for my colleague. But at some point, the Afghan colleague said, we want to, we want to come as well. So more I was teaching to an Afghan colleague, I realized that they are all suffering of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety, as I did. But I realized, unlike me, they didn't have the tools to heal their PTSD. So I decided to create the Amanodin Foundation to actually bring yoga meditation in Afghanistan in order to work on the mental health situation of the population. And this is how, with Raula, my friend, we opened up the Starshop Light School, where we teach to 350 kids the, the tools of nonviolence, also the value of nonviolence, peace education, and yoga and meditation. And more I was teaching, more I've been sent to women's shelters, I've been sent to, to jail, to prisoners, uh, to Polishari, which is the the jail outside Kabul only for the Taliban and for the terrorists. So I was kind of scared, but at the end, they are human beings and they really enjoy it. And I end up teaching to the Taliban. And I realized that for them, meditation was a type of a prayer because you say, you know, when we pray five times a day, it's like we connect as well to the divine, to Allah. And it brings them some meditative state. But unfortunately, after teaching for more than a year, I received a death threat from the Taliban because one day one, one of the father of a girl with a Taliban came with a Kalashnikov, was looking for me because he said, I'm bringing Buddhism to her daughter, which is not the case. It was kind of a shortcut in their mind. Meditation, yoga means Buddhism and Hinduism. And they were scared that I do proselytism to prevent his daughter to go to Islam. So I say, well, it's time for me to move on. And I left Afghanistan. Wow. <clears throat> so uh, did you take some time off or uh, what was next? <laughs> yes. Well, I realized like everything I do, I'm so passionate and I needed a time a break. And I realized how traumatized I as was. So I went on deep yoga meditation retreat and doing a retreat, I realized that, um, also I mentioned to say why I was back in Afghanistan, six of my international colleagues got assassinated in August by the Taliban. So again, I was traumatized again and again, UN asked me to go out. And this time when I went out, I start to realize that not only I suffer, but all my UN colleagues suffer of PTSD, depression, and anxiety. I also face a suicide bomber in a polling station. And I realized it was my most courageous act of resilience facing this suicide bomber, smiling at him to ask him to go out. It brings me so much trauma. I have so much of my colleague who got assassinated by the Taliban. I say, it's time for me to withdraw. I moved to California where I met you. And during my retreat in California, I met this amazing yoga teacher called Shun Korn. She gave me a scholarship with the yoga uh, of the mat into the world. 
because she really supports my organization in Afghanistan. And during one of her retreats in Obega Institute, I say, it's time for me to do something for my colleague, the humanitarian colleague. So I decided to write a letter to Ban Ki-moon, which was my big boss at this time. And I wrote to him and I said, are you aware of the sanity and the mental health of your colleague? I mean, on the front line in all the war zone. And if you are aware, tell me what you do for their mental health. If you are not fully aware, shall we meet? Because this is my story and this is the story of all my colleagues. And surprisingly, 30 minutes after I received a message from his cabinet, say, come to our office right now. So I was in Boston. I took a fly, went to New York, meet Ban Ki-moon in the lift. He said, I'm sorry, I have to fly to Central Africa. There is a case of rape. Let's speak with Susanna Malkora, my deputy. I met for one hour Susanna Malkora, and she said, we are very aware of what's going on within the organization. We receive insult letter every day. We receive resignation letter every day. We don't know what to do. Well, I say, if you don't know what to do, let me tell you something. I'm fundraising in Google for my foundation in Afghanistan, a Mandarin foundation. And I realized in Google, they look happier, healthier, more relaxed. And it looks like this is an amazing program called Search Inside Yourself, which brings more mindfulness, more emotional intelligence, conscious leadership, neuroscience. Why not we try to bring this type of program within the system and say, well, go for it. Super good idea. So I went to meet, thanks to Gopikayalil, who you know, I went to meet Meng Shangtend and I told him about my dream to bring his program to United Nations. And he said, well, go for it. I give you a scholarship, which I study for one year. After a year, UN called me to go to Haiti. So I start to teach Search Inside Yourself to my colleague in Haiti. And they say, we love it, but I feel it's not fully adapted because it's about all the CEO of Silicon Valley. We want more like Mother Teresa. We want more like humanitarian example. And why not you bring more yoga or mental health in the, in the curriculum? I say, you're right. So I went to see back the cabinet of Ban Ki-moon and I say, as much as I love Search Inside Yourself, it looks like we need something more adapted to the field. I say, what do you propose? I say, I propose we create the inner peacekeeping program where actually, because I work on peacekeeping operation around the world, why might we bring more inner peacekeeping and uh, where we give to the humanitarian on the front line, 20 tools of inner peace to prevent depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I say, yes, go for it. I say, well, give me the money. I say, well, we don't have the money. So I say, okay, I'm going to fundraise. And I went to see Lululemon in Canada who gave me money for that. I gave the money to UN Foundation in order to uh, design the curriculum. We hire a pool of experts on the curriculum, on mental health, psychologists, yoga meditation teacher, and at the end, we managed to bring this program into refugee camp in Mafrak and Zatari camp in Jordan with UNHCR for all the humanitarian working on the Syria refugee crisis because they were full stress, full on PTSD. And we taught them the program during a weekend and a follow-up online for one month and the results were excellent. Like they love it so much, they start to sleep better, eat better, 
Some of them realized they were so much traumatized, they resigned from UN because they said, we cannot do it anymore. And it was a big success, but now the program is taught all around the world. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's the incredible. And uh, uh, I think being able to demonstrate the power of these types of practices uh, really is quite extraordinary. And sometimes people think that there is no resolution for their suffering. Uh, <clears throat> but as you've demonstrated, uh, there is, and, uh, um, and it works quite effectively. Indeed. So what's next for Amandine? I know uh, that you uh, are now in Majorca, that uh, you are um, studying, I, I, and maybe you can explain it, uh, the concept of divine feminism and, uh, and where your personal life is at this point after traveling the world uh, in some ways on your own, alone, trying to uh, make the world a better place. So uh, tell me about Mallorca, and I know you've invited me many times, so I plan on coming, but uh, tell me more. And uh, um, I'm sure our listeners would sort of like uh, to understand how it all comes full circle. Yes, and uh, before going to Mallorca, I just wanted to add, because I'm a humanitarian in heart, I say, if this type of program works for humanitarian, why not offer that to the refugees? So I create the Inner Peace Corps organization to bring the inner peacekeeping to the refugees in Zatari and Mafra camp. And the goal of Inner Peace Corps was to heal the invisible wound of trauma restore human dignity, and develop joy through creativity. And it was focused only on women. Why women? Because during my healing journey from PTSD, from all this country, I've been all around the world, I was healed thanks to the plant medicine. And during a plant medicine ceremony and journey, I connected with the earth, Gaia. And she said, to me, my daughter, I put you back on your throne of divine feminine for you to put all these women back on their throne of divine feminine because the women on this planet have been abused, exploited, and raped by men as much as you have been abused, exploited, and raped by men as much as your mother, Gaia, have been abused, exploited, and raped by men for century by healing the woman you are healing your mother and that's your mission so i felt like so fortunate to receive my real mission from mother Earth that my life took completely another stage another direction because i realized that traveling all around the world on 20 peace process with united nation in the darkest zone the conflict zone on the world from Afghanistan, to Iraq, to Libya, to Congo, to Central Africa, to Sudan, to Haiti, I was, without knowing it, unlocking the feminine power in the most fossilized patriarchy. So I was doing that just out of passion, but I realized my mission needed to go to another level. And the other level was first to reconcile the feminine and masculine within myself, 
in order to create a sacred union and uh, to reach peace within, really a state of peace, of love, of happiness, of harmony, of consciousness. And when I reach that, I can give them the tool to other women and men to reach the divine sacred union of divine masculine and divine feminine. So to answer your question, now I'm indeed in Mallorca with my husband-to-be, which is my first love for my teenager. We met again two years ago, we fell in love again, and we decided to settle down in Mallorca to be close to our family, but also because we love Spain. And Mallorca is a little bit like California with the sun, with the good vibes, the good people and uh, good vibration and nature. And I settled on a small healing center, well-being center, creativity center called Sol de Agarta. We have a huge teepee and we organize retreat and ceremony. And I'm doing some myotic coaching healing session inside or online in order for people to download their soul and bring their divine gift to the humanity. So in a nutshell, this is where I am right now. So it's like the full cycle, you know, I'm back to, to Europe, finally, after this long, long journey around the world. Well, I have to say you are happier than I think I've seen you ever. I mean, you seem very <laughs> centered, you seem happy. And I mm. think uh, uh, it's been an incredible uh, journey. But I think so many people mm. have benefited from your passion, your wisdom, your insights and uh i think uh this is if you will the next level for you and i think that uh you know for so many men uh, you know we talk about divine feminine or women looking for a different definition of that which has been placed on them uh by either society or in some ways our evolution but I would also suggest that there are many, many women, or excuse me, there are many, many women, men who actually wish to go outside of the place that uh, society or evolution has placed them to uh, really come together to be of service without the baggage of the uh, prejudices and biases that have unfortunately so negatively affected the world indeed and you know i have to say it's not ostracism it's not against the men not at all we bring the man into the equation for them to find the balance within themselves to find their feminine and their divine masculine you know and it's like same for women but i have to say for uh two um two thousand years at least the world have been under the patriarchy energy and we do need a lot of balance right now to bring a lot of feminine energy which is kindness i mean this is all what you teach with ck right it's on compassion it's on altruism it's all the feminine quality of kindness of love of patience of beauty so this is what more than ever the world is needed now in order to balance with all this chaos, this conflict, this war, and this separation, you know, we need to reach to unity. And that's why we need to counterbalance with the feminine energy. So feminine energy coming from men and from women. I agree. 
Uh, totally. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's such a joy to reconnect with you and uh, to be able to spend time. And uh, I do hope in the not too future, uh, near future, or not too future, near future, whatever I mean, uh, that we'll be able to see each other and uh, hang out. And I would love to uh, see your place in Mallorca and uh, hang out and relax a little bit. Yes, please, please come with Masha. It will be an I, honor. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I will do that. Uh, in fact, we're trying to uh, plan a trip right now. Uh, yes. <clears throat> but um, I've got, what do I have to do? Oh, I have to go to Belfast first and then to uh, uh, the UK and then to Amsterdam. And then uh, I'll have a little bit of time. So we'll, uh, we'll see if I can drop by and uh, hang out a, a bit. So, well, listen, Good. thank you so much. Uh, it's such a joy and a pleasure to be with you. And we've shared so many uh, unique, interesting experiences uh, for which I'm also uh, thankful. So you take care. Much love, my dear. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Jim. It's a real honor to speak with you today. Uh, indeed. And my pleasure. So. Again, thank you for being with us today. The Into the Magic Shop podcast can be found where you find your most popular podcasts, or you can find us at intothemagicshop.com. <laughs>